0: What is age-appropriate sex and sexuality information for my pre- and my primary school age children? What level of detail do I give them at those different ages and stages? This is a crucial question I get from parents at every parent session. Over three podcast episodes, number seven, eight and nine, I'll break down by age what is typically expected, human sexuality development and behaviour for children, And I'll suggest some conversations that you could, more importantly, should be having at those ages and stages. I recommend you listen to all three if you have primary school age children, but in this episode, we'll be talking about ages five to eight. Welcome to Talking the Talk Healthy Sexuality Conversations. I'm Vanessa Hamilton. This is the podcast that is going to encourage and support you to be the main sex and sexuality educator for your child. Do you want to feel confident and comfortable to have healthy and positive conversations about sex and sexuality with children so that you will be the first person who educates them about each topic? This podcast will provide you with surprisingly simple and effective actionable tips to clear the fears and uncertainty around essential sexuality conversations with kids. Each episode, I'll answer questions from parents and cover a variety of different topics. As a bonus, you might just get that sexuality education you missed out on when you were growing up. So as my tagline says, let's get started. It's easier than you think. Just a word of warning regarding the content. This podcast is not suitable for children. At times, it may contain explicit themes, including sexual themes, sexual abuse, and other adult conversations. Mostly, it'll be fun, informative and insightful, but at the same time, please be sure to pause and take a breather or check in with your usual supports if any sensitive content brings up difficult thoughts or feelings for you. Welcome to Episode 8. In this podcast episode, we will be talking about the usual and typical sexuality development and behaviour of ages 5 to 8 years old. Think about when... You are faced with a sex or sexuality question or situation with your kids, uh, your early primary school age kids. Do you always consciously try to give a positive response? If I ask you the question, uh, Are you an askable parent? Regarding sex and sexuality, do you think you are? Before we begin, it's important that we need to remember that sex is not for kids but human sexuality is and sexuality education has hardly anything to do with sex your role is to provide positive information about human sexuality that focuses on joy responsibility health and well-being so in this episode to support you to have healthy sexuality conversations with your children and be their main sexuality educator and their main source of information i'm going to go through as I said, the development and behavior, um, the sexu- sexuality development and behavior of five to eight year olds, and then the healthy sexuality conversations you should have with kids. Uh, I'll focus a bit after that on explaining sexual intercourse for reproduction as well, and we will touch on puberty too. I'll talk more about puberty in the next podcast episode. But again, as I said before, before we even begin to address what is typically expected human sexuality development and behaviour of children, and, and what conversations you need to have at what ages, we need to have in the front of mind the concept that when we're talking about human sexuality, we're not actually talking about sex. Human sexuality and sexual development has hardly anything to do with sex, or what we commonly think of when we hear that word. You go back to my, one of my previous podcasts to hear why I think sex is an unhelpful word and a very limiting word and the difference between sex and sexuality. As parents, we just have to be the main human sexuality educators for our kids. And this needs to start early, preferably before school, but it's never too late to start. So if you haven't started, it's never too late as long as you start somewhere. For parents, often fears about all things to do with sex prevents us from addressing even the most basic basic of sexuality, safety and wellbeing education for our kids. Combined with uh, most parents' lack of adequate sexuality education themselves, this stops us from having any conversations. When you're wondering how much information you should give your school-aged child, Think of this question to yourself. The measure of how much information to give is based on this basic simple rule that I suggest to parents. Who do you want to be the person that tells your child about each topic of human sexuality? So who do you want to be to be their main sex and sexuality educator? Hopefully you're saying it's you. And your next question needs to be, well, if it is going to be you, then you need to get in first before someone else or something else tells them about it, such as older siblings, cousins, neighbours, school friends, media, advertising, society, pornography. How can you get in first with each topic? You should aim to be giving messages that complement what they learn at school, so please check with your school to learn about what they're learning um, in Sex and Sexuality and re- Respectful Relationships Education, which should, should be starting um, at PrEP. Uh, there's information about that on my website if you want to know what sort of levels of education should be provided uh, to children because global research tells us that giving good information that's age-appropriate and accurate gives young people good outcomes later on in life. And when people say well what what would you teach little children?" So for example, in kinder, children can learn the names of body parts and they can learn body safety um, and moving forward, they can learn about respectful relationships, consent, all of those things are related to human sexuality. Parents need to be really brave because if if kids aren't getting the simple facts they need from us, then they will get their sexuality education from somewhere else, from the hypersexualized world we live in see, they're getting a sexuality education every day, whether we like it or not. And if you're not talking to them about sex and sexuality, somebody else is. And it's actually not that hard once you get started. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And so in this podcast, I'm going to talk about what what is expected development and behavior that is typical of ages five to eight, and then some of the healthy conversations you can have in relation to that. Before we go on to that, just as far as them being children learning about this information, many people worry that teaching kids about sex and sexuality too early will destroy their innocence. This is one of the most problematic myths. You see, the idea that sexuality education will cause kids to lose their innocence, that implies that information about sex and sexuality or human sexuality is dirty or wrong or bad. And that's not the case. We need to have a positive outlook for our child's journey and their and their experience of being a human sexual being. Being empowered with comprehensive, adequate, age-appropriate sexuality education from a young age throughout their life actually empowers them. They do not lose their innocence. Children will lose their innocence if something happens to them that they didn't want to happen or that they didn't expect or they don't have any information about, such as sexual abuse. Another example of I- empowerment being provided with information is about puberty and the maturation of their sexual and reproductive organs. This is their lived experience. They need information about it before it happens. It reduces shame and guilt about their feelings. They're not losing their innocence for understanding what is happening to their bodies and if it's put in a positive light they'll actually celebrate those changes and have much better capacity to manage them. So let's look at what to expect and what is typical and usual development in ages five to eight, Uh, and then I'll give you some examples of some healthy sexuality conversations that you need to be having with those ages, and um, I'll focus on um, sexuality, uh, sexual intercourse for reproduction. So as far as usual development that we would expect, uh, a child will be aware of and will develop a strong sense of their gender identity at around five to eight. Um, I probably didn't mention that the episode before this one, I talk about usual development and behaviour of naught to five. So you can have a, a listen to that first if you want to. So they're at five to eight, the strong sense of gender identity about whether they feel male or female. And obviously at this point, some children's identity will not be as clear to them or to those around them. Adults need to acknowledge that not all children will identify with the sex that they were assigned at birth. And uh, if you're an adult and you have a child that that is the case for, you need to have a, a, a make sure you have good information about how to manage that for the best health and well-being of that child. So um, it's a typical and usual development for them to have a basic understanding of sexual orientation, so who people are sexually attracted to, such as heterosexuality and homosexuality and bisexuality. And again, remember we're talking about all those normal aspects of of diversity and respecting everybody for all their different versions. Usual development is the introduction of knowledge and social norms related to the role of sexuality in relationships uh, and how friendships change from just friendships to romantic partnerships, for example. And of course, understanding proper terminology for sexuality-related body parts is really important. They have an interest in how bodies work and learning about relationships. Um, they're developing an understanding of how that's um, related to puberty and human reproduction, including the role of sexual intercourse and, and their human reproductive capacity, their bodies. Some children will show early signs of puberty in this five to eight-year-old age group. Um, it's not common for puberty uh, signs to start at eight, but it is. it does happen. Uh, and many of their friends may be showing those signs and you know from nine onwards is when puberty can occur so they really need to know about it before it happens they start developing a sense of privacy some of them more before five as well so some of the behavior we'll see in this age group that's typical and we should expect it and so we can respond positively when we see it is consensual curiosity and exploration based um, play or sexuality play with same and other gendered peers and friends Um, And that's without force or coercion. Uh, There's a a, a blog post associated with this podcast on the show notes that talks about when it's not typical or okay behaviour as far as them having sexuality, play-based behaviour. So occasional masturbation, or I prefer to say genital touching, for some children at this age, um, because it usually is genital touching at um, nought to five Beyond five and towards eight, um, some of that genital touching may begin to take on pleasure orientation rather than just self-soothing and relaxation. So they will start to use slang words to describe body parts and sexuality. They'll probably start requesting privacy, such as when is showering, changing in the pool, uh, and they'll be interested in comparing genital characteristics with their peers uh, or other adults who have different physical sex to them, all the same physical sexual uh, characteristics, they'll copy observed behaviour such as sexy dancing on um, music videos uh, or language that they've heard on media. And so how we respond to that is really important. But it's typical for them to copy that observed behaviour. That's that's normal childhood behaviour. So the conversations that you would have in a positive way as in rela- in response to all those behaviors relate to several things and here's some examples of them. So human sexuality is positive. Don't approach it with fear and danger. So in the past generations of us adults have had inadequate sexuality education, conversations, sharing of information. Let's not continue that with this next generation. We know in countries where they have a positive attitude to talking about sex and sexuality. Um, Some research study done by uh, Peggy Orenstein with Girls in a University showed that the girls who had been spoken to openly and positively by doctors, nurses, teachers, parents throughout their life had much better outcomes in their relationships later on in life. Um, And we know globally that young people who have had good information throughout their life have better outcomes such as um, more positive experiences, less sexually transmitted infections, less unintended pregnancies. They even delay sexual intercourse to a later age. But the, the foundation of that information starts around this age, five to eight. It doesn't start at 16 when they're about to go and have those intimate encounters. Um, another conversation you can have to them is that sex, intimacy, out of course can mean many different things it's, it, and it's only for adults. It's It's only for adults' minds and bodies, not for children's and that sex is a private thing and for adults only. And there's plenty of teachable moments to talk about what's private and what's public and what's appropriate and what makes people feel good and what's a shared, mutual, um, enjoyable experience and why people might be doing things like that in public and private. Naming body parts includes internal organs now. Now that they're five to eight, you can start talking about the internal body parts and that includes clitoris as well. So I have had parents say to me, um, oh, I understand we've talked about the mechanics to our child, to our grade three or four child, the mechanics of sexual intercourse, but I wasn't expecting to be telling them about pleasure or the fact that they enjoy each other's bodies. Well, I would think that it cannot be more important to, to include that because when We have a conversation about two people that might be having um, a vagina, accepting the penis, sexual intercourse for reproduction and talking about how babies are made. Well, one example of how babies are made. You must include that it feels good for those people and they've both agreed on it and they're mutually enjoying it because later on when they get those examples that are opposite to that, they'll understand that that's not how it's supposed to be and when they see pornography, they'll see that that isn't the version that they've been told by their reliable source at home so other conversations relate to diversity of humans and gender diversity for example and sexual orientation uh, diversity as well and respecting others and knowing that there's lots of different versions of that so um having talks about sexual intercourse which i'll talk a bit more about in a minute um, And at this point you need to talk about the rules about talking about sex and sexuality. So often people are worried that their kids will go and teach other kids at school or repeat what they've been told. So I've had to do this a lot with my kids. It's okay to say to them, you know, we have lots of conversations in this house and I'll answer any question that you have. And, and, you know, dad and I or or mum and mum, we're all happy to answer your questions. But it's not your job to teach the other kids at school. So it's other parents, their parents' job and their teacher's job to teach them. So these are just conversations that we'll have at home. They're not for you to, to talk a lot about at school. But with that, if they do go and have accurate conversations, then, then that's not such a bad thing, is it? Because they are talking about this in the playground and uh, the more accurate information that they talk about, the better. Not that we encourage it, because mainly because the adults can't manage them having these conversations So talking about puberty is really important, um, especially in the context of the capacity for reproduction because that takes many, many years for them to understand. Um, And they need to know about what's going to happen for them before it happens. And also that it's a positive thing and celebrate the changes in their bodies. So internet use should only be under adult supervision for five to eight-year-olds, never alone in their bedrooms, never alone in their bedrooms. They are children and they don't have the capacity to manage this Uh, the complexities of the public place such as the internet Um, and we should be having lots of conversations that uh, set the foundations for safety for when they do use it independently in the future. Uh, Talking about um, expanding the knowledge of their rights like their body belongs to them and expanding that concept around body autonomy... And then talking about reinforcing knowledge about their responsibilities. Um, So equal relationships related to sexuality and social interactions, both in the real world and online, all need to happen during these five to eight-year-olds. So as you can see, there's lots of conversations you need to have. So these conversations are just um, lots and lots of snippets of teachable moments that come up day in and day out. There's not one big talk about sex. It's hardly got anything to do with sex. But on that note, I will just um, focus on the conversation about explaining um, penis, vagina, heterosexual intercourse for reproduction because it's often one of the things that stops people having conversations in the first place and it's such a simple conversation that we can have and get out of the way or we can talk more about celebrating it actually. Um, As I said in the podcast number seven about children losing their innocence They won't lose their innocence learning accurate, age-appropriate information about human sexuality because losing your innocence implies that something is dirty or bad or negative or wrong and learning about this information and about being human isn't um, bad or negative. They will lose their innocence if something happens to them that they didn't expect or that they didn't know about. In episode nine, I'll talk about puberty and the conversations that you can have with your kids about puberty. They should start in um age 5 to 8 I'll give an example of what I did once When I, I think I had one of my kids in the car they would have been around 8 or so and we we're at sport and uh after our lesson uh, the 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 um club room filled up with teenagers ready for their squad and they just took over the room they were tall and loud And so when we got in the car, I used that as a teachable moment. And I said, what did you notice about those teenagers and the differences in their bodies compared to the little kids who'd had their little kids squad before? And so we talked about all sorts of things of broad shoulders and pimples and hair and uh, deep voices and sweating and growing. And that was a really good conversation to have that all people go through puberty. And you can start um, getting in through just such simple things that are seemingly unrelated to sex and sexuality. But I will focus now on this conversation about the amazing story of human reproduction. It should be a normal part of every household. And hopefully every household has a book like The Amazing True Story of How Babies Are Made or um, How Babies Are Made by Corey Silverberg. These are great books to use as a prop for parents who are feeling a bit nervous about having the conversation If you are feeling a bit apprehensive, do a little preparation so that you can respond positively and be an askable parent. Reading the book through out loud first yourself is a really good way to do that. Remember, you want to be the person who tells your kids about this. Don't let them find out from the playground or from somewhere else. So your preparation can include some reading and research about appropriate language. Um, As I said, buy a book, practice saying the words out loud with other parents and adults, don't let your potential hang-ups about um, sex and sexuality our layer upon layer upon layer of stuff in our heads that might be negative. You know, any of the fear or shame or danger or guilt or worry or lack of sexuality education be uh, get in the way of this generation's um, education needs. Don't let it stop you from sharing the amazing story of human reproduction with your kids. I mean, there's lots of ways to make a baby, so we have to have conversations about how families come in all different shapes and sizes, Um, uh, but we will just talk about uh, sexual intercourse and making a baby just now. So, after all, sexual intercourse is just the tiniest part of the whole story. It shouldn't stop us from educating our children about it altogether. So, before you do have the conversation, think to yourself, will will my approach to sex and human sexuality give a positive, non-judgmental, accurate sort of version that's up-to-date um, and does it include my opinions and values uh, as, as the kids grow up? So um, it's important that you put in your family values as well into conversations about sex and sexuality because everybody's families differ. But importantly, we need to talk about uh, respecting everybody's differences. So here's just one of the many ways to explain sexual intercourse and making a baby. Remember to explain that the word sex, that word sex, which I think is really unhelpful. I explained that in a podcast um, earlier about the difference between sex and sexuality, and that when we do use the word sex, it means lots of different things to different people. And what we're explaining here is actually an activity called sexual intercourse, or some people call it making love. And, um, of course, you've talked about all the other ways to make a baby, um, but this is the most common way. And so you can talk about two people who make a decision to have a baby. It needs to be a physical male and a physical female. Uh, And so if a child asks you the question, like, you know, Dad, where does where do babies come from? Where, where does a baby come from? And your first response is positive and you can say, you know, um, I'm so glad you asked me about that question. I've been meaning to talk to you about that wonderful, amazing way that humans reproduce. What, what do you know about it already? So that's a way of buying yourself some time to think about what your next statement's going to be but also just to see where they're at, to so know where to pitch the information. They might rattle off the whole story for you and they already know. Um. And so you can talk about, well, two people make a decision to have a baby and that's that conversation already starting about decision-making about, about conception. So, uh, well, a baby comes from a sperm and an ovum and that, that's commonly called a seed or an egg. And when those join together, it grows into a new human and a new baby. And you can stop it there if you want to and the child might move on. As they're getting older, you really need to continue on with that conversation and use the teachable moment. They'll ask as much as they're ready for, but if they are older and you're trying to get in first, remember you're being that person who gives them their first amount of information, you should tell them. I think we should tell children about the amazing story of human reproduction from you know four and five years old onwards. So they might say, well, um, where 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 does the seed and the egg come from? And... You can say, well, they live in a special sac in the physical female body called an ovary and that's where the uh, egg lives and uh, a special sac in the physical male body, it's called a testicle and that's where seeds grow and you can leave it at that again and they might move on um, or continue on. So, well, how does the seed and the egg get together? So you can insert your own family values here as far as whether they're married or not, all those sorts of things. But essentially it can go along the lines of something like this. When two people have decided uh, to make a baby, they do something very special for the sperm and the ovum to get together. In a private place, they might hug and kiss and touch each other's bodies. They usually have no clothes on. They respect each other and they love each other a lot. When they're both ready, the person with the vagina accepts the penis into the vagina. The penis delivers the sperm and it travels up to find the egg. And that's as much as you need to say. And then they might turn around and say, well, fine, can I have a biscuit? (laughs) It might just go over their head if it's too much. Usually, uh, they'll find it really interesting. I remember one child in a grade 5 class, sitting up on the... uh, So grade 5, so it's about um, at least 10 sitting up on the chair, and he'd just been listening to every word I was saying in the the, uh, puberty conversation in class, and when we got onto this topic, he just couldn't get enough information, just thought it was fascinating. And when I said, in a private place, they hug and kiss and touch each other's bodies, and they usually have no clothes on, when they're both ready, the person with the vagina accepts the penis into the vagina, the penis delivers the sperm, and it travels up to meet the egg. A few little giggles, general silence, and this one just said, I did not know you were going to say that. Just thought it was fascinating. So um, it's important that they have heard it from a safe, reliable source because so many children are accessing pornography, for example, at such early ages. And if that is their first uh, viewing or understanding of what this thing called sex is, that is really, really unhelpful for their brains. Moving back onto this story about um, sexual intercourse for reproduction, for example, then it might be, well, how does the baby grow once it finds the egg? Well, when the egg and seed find each other and join, it's called fertilisation, and it creates an embryo that travels to a place in the woman's body, the physical woman's body called the womb, and it'll settle to grow in there. It's a uterus is the science name for it. We commonly call it the womb, and it'll grow on growing for about nine to ten months. This is called pregnancy. And how does it get out of the tummy then? How does it get out of the mum's tummy? Well, it's not in the tummy where the pizza goes. Remember, it's in the uterus. When the baby's ready to be born, the body with the uterus is really strong and goes through lots of changes and it has lots of special chemicals flowing around it called hormones. And that causes the muscles in the uterus to stretch and help the baby come out through the vagina. Sometimes that person needs to have an operation to help the baby come out with a cut in their tummy. Um, But they have medicine, so they can't feel it. So that's a really simple term conversation to have with kids. And if they hear that from you, they read the storybook that you've got at home, and then they hear the same safe information from school, and it's all with a positive, overwhelming um, celebration of human species reproduction, then there'll be no fear or danger or negativity around it. And I can see the kids in classes when I teach in in classes, the kids who have had these conversations with their parents stand out um, really uh, dramatically compared to other kids. The other kids bring on society's shame and disgust and embarrassment about it. Um, it is normal to feel a bit embarrassed and a bit weird about it and we talk about that because we talk about what's, what, these, are com- these are things we're not normally allowed to talk about or that we don't usually talk about. But I warm up the kids with things like we have conversations about other species reproductions. So get them to tell me about how babies, um, you know, how do other species reproduce? Have they seen, you know, a documentary on TV or, or read a book about an amazing story of human reproduction, of, um, of species reproduction? And we talk all about that. And, not, and then I say, well, humans have an amazing design as well. And this is how it happens. So... Accurate, comprehensive sexuality education, such as just the correct names of body parts, knowing about um, sex and sexual intercourse, whatever sex means, details about puberty before it happens, has benefits for children's whole sexual journey over their lifetime. And when they're adolescents... They'll have better communication skills with partners during intimate experiences. They'll understand what's happening for their body. They'll be able to make decisions about their own bodies. This familiarity with their body will assist them to negotiate their needs and desires as well as consent, mutual exploration and pleasurable experiences. And as parents, we play a crucial role in ensuring the ongoing health, safety and well-being of our kids in regard to sexual health and sexuality development and that includes being their main sexuality educator and source of reliable accurate information so if you want more information and support go to my website i've got a whole lot of resources there um, www.talkinthetalksexed.com.au you'll also find information about a membership i'll be launching there as well for people to have um a, access to me to be able to ask questions and also to have uh, more resources as well so as my quite daggy tagline says but it is true let's get started it's easier than you think just get started somewhere don't feel like you have to do it perfectly or what if you're not doing it right the the right thing is just to start the conversations